Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a Roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last night's AEW Dynamite, the go home show ahead of AEW Revolution, and what a go home show it was with some major announcements too. Yeah, absolutely. This goddamn company somehow contrives to do something seminal and iconic literally every single week at this point, whether it's a classic match, a classic promo segment, like, like an incredible angle. Like every single week. Even on weeks where the general standard isn't quite as high as this company is capable of top to bottom, every single week this year, I would wager, if you go down the line here, <laughs> something like literally iconic, seminal, five-star, every single week. Like, this company absolutely rules when it rules, and this episode ruled. Yeah, agree. Greatly enjoyed this episode. <laughs> I love how it was. Uh, like, I, I've realised in the last few weeks of the Dynamites that I think have hit way more as episodes rather than the ones that didn't, because Cedric's right. Like, the point I was making yesterday on 2.0 is that as much as you can guarantee an absolutely terrible match that shouldn't be on television, you can guarantee something that steals the week on Dynamite, you know? That's a certainty. But I am more thinking now that some of the issues with some of those wonkier Dynamites were structure, because... The good stuff's definitely always been there. And sometimes it's maybe how it's presented. There are a couple of um, duds on this show, or like, like duller spots than others, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought this was an absolutely tremendous episode. And there was very little that brought you down from the various highs. It wasn't so much peaks and valleys. It was just varying degrees of highs, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the night. There was certainly no point where I was looking at my watch and tapping it and going, oh, bloody hell, get on with it sort of thing. I'll never excuse lazy, phoned-in trope theatre, which AEW is capable of, Mm -hmm. sadly. But on weeks like this, I do think it's important to bear in mind that the Dynamite episode in four weeks' time is not going to be as good as this. 
for kind of good reason. You shouldn't phone it in. You shouldn't overload your show with backstage interruptions to the point of parody. But this seriously wouldn't be as great and as hot seminal as it is if they reached for this kind of thing every single mm. week. Like I think I'm going to be a bit more generous to the 7 out of 10s as we go between pay-per-view cycles in four weeks' time, provided they don't take the piss with how constant the barrage of bollocks is, because this is how it works. This is how the model works. They do very quiet, low-key stuff. Even if it's like a backstage segment that doesn't seem like it's up to much, it's going to. Like, I've got complete faith in this process. I was going to make a joke there about the fact that, what, a few months back, we were like, is AEW in a bit of trouble here when they had that all over the place dynamite with like 11 interruptions or whatever it was. Um, but I'm not going to do that. What I am going to say is that this shows like this are the example we were talking about when we were saying, look, it's not ruined or dead or anything like that, but it can be better because when they pull off stuff like they did last night, that showcases for me the, the difference between that show that we complained about and were accused of being, you know, overly harsh on and this show that we're going to heap praise on. Far better understated than phoned in. There's an absolute difference between those two, but even on understated episodes, I'm going to be a bit more generous, I think, going mm. forward because it all serves to deepen the investment we're all feeling on this Thursday morning. Yeah, the obviously, you know, we'll go into detail when we get there, but, like, this is, it's more of a broader point like to like make some just remake Cedric's point really about how this is kind of how it's supposed to be the hottest program in professional wrestling in which a match has already taken place in which a twist takes place two weeks before it peaks has peaked at exactly the right time on the go home show before you want to buy the fight like I, I can't think of a better example of how wrestling is still feud of the year, isn't it? It's you might as well stop 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 the counting of the votes now. You might as well. It's feud of the year. It's like it's recency bias is getting in the way, but it's it's gonna feel. Like, it feels to me like one of my all-time favourite mm. pro wrestling stories ever. I think it's the best thing AEW have ever done. Um, and I just, yeah, like, it, but this is what I mean. That's going to be focused praise when we get to that segment. But I just feel like into the, you can't have that hit rate all the time. But you were looking at the what is the centrepiece angle of your promotion. You flipped it on its head with two weeks to go. And you've returned it to its absolute most violent peak. Mm-hmm. Days before you want people to see the cathartic conclusion. It is shut up and take my money, isn't it? 100%. That is exactly how, like, episodic wrestling is supposed to function. And we've actually been given more in the process in the form of the match already or the twist that we weren't Mm. expecting. It's not like we've been over-served and yet they've still somehow found the peak. Uh, Right, let's dive into this show. It's going to be a bit of a weird analysis early on because we're going to talk a little bit about Tony Khan's huge announcement and then rapidly move on because we're going to go into more detail in a Get the Table podcast, which you're also going to be able to to watch on our YouTube channel a little Mm. bit later on today. But yeah, Tony Khan's in there with Tony Schiavone uh, to open the show. Uh, He talked about this being the biggest week in AEW history. Uh, Thank the fans, as always, for the three years and supporting the company throughout the pandemic, etc., etc. He says, look how far we've come. In the past three years, I'm proud of, of everyone, including the fans. Um, and then he talks about another company that was, well, 17 years prior to that. 20 years ago, basically. It started 20 years ago. It was called Ring of Honor. And he is proud to announce that as of today, he is officially the owner of Ring of Honor Wrestling. He says, Shane's not here. There's no Shane. It's me. <laughs> um, yes, he did. And he introduced two Ring of Honor originals who fought on that first show, neither of which won. Um, <laughs> the other one, conspicuous by his absence. <laughs> um, it's time to set that score before we get to the to the match. Um, yeah, 
Tony Khan owns Ring of Honor. Sid, your reaction to this? Let's not go too in-depth on this mm -hmm. because we have got a huge roundtable discussion that's going to drop later when we, in fact, record it. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to say nothing. Let's, okay. let's, say no, let's say nothing. I, I just thought, if you're going to make some history, which you did here in wrestling terms, a bit of history for AEW, isn't it? Like Tony Khan's first... Promo on Dynamite. He did the the nine days thing on Dark, Dark Elevation. Elevation. Like so, this is and prior to uh, Rampage that one time. He he introduced the Great Freak. John is a good kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> I only saw that the other day. I really let's uh, be nice in case he listens. Well, he in, talks in, in, very very well in, in, case, in case he listens. Press in case he listens. We, know, <laughs> we know he listens. He talks very well on the press circuit and a public facing executive role. Put a well, you've got the take. Well, yeah, like, he's, yeah, all of that. Like, he comes across so well. Oh, absolutely. And so refreshingly well in that environment. Like, even if you don't like or believe some of the stuff he says. I think he comes across fabulously. He's, uh, like, as a polished and smooth, <coughs> like, billionaire executive should mm. in that environment. Wrestling promos are a different beast. And I say that as somebody that has the comfort of sitting in a closed podcast studio talking to you two every day versus being in front. Like, this is not me, like, projecting. It's the same criticism as one of a wrestler. I'm saying this. I never want to fall on my back for a living. Like, I wouldn't oh, want to. I, would, I, I get so giddy doing this podcast. I wouldn't want, want the pressure of that. Mike in front of you. Like, <laughs> his voice goes everywhere, and he seemingly <laughs> has it. no control over it, and it's really funny. Like, I, like I'm saying this. I think it's like endearing. Endearing. Thank you. That's the word. Like the he like the big reveal. I have bought Ring of Honor. The delivery was mangled and all over the shop and totally everywhere because it was just he was excited to get it out, and you kind of like it's infectious. That I there, think. yeah, there is an element of that excitement that That's is infectious. Why I did the impression. Not, yeah. to not to take the piss. No. But it's funny, yeah. And he doesn't do it regularly. Again, like, it's, it's not going to be... Should, nor should he. No, and this this wasn't... Yeah, this wasn't an angle, and I think that's key to it. The Nine Days one is far more egregious because he was getting sucked into wrestling storylines yeah. there. This felt like I've got a bit of, like, business to announce. And if it's out, if, as long as it's kept to that, he's never going to become an authority figure, is he? When, uh, when Shane is here, that's when he's going to be the yes, general exactly. manager or whatever. Uh, and then they hot shot bloody match to start the show. This is obviously very different. I'm joking, of course. It's not an impromptu match. It was a previously unannounced match that was signed. And yeah, I think if they'd announced it, people would have gone, oh, cool, so it's Ring of Honor then. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. pitched this for last Wednesday, didn't I? Because it would have been exactly 20 years to the day. And Tony Khan loves that weird stuff that we never think about. And for once, I goddamn thought about it. I was like, oh, he's not going to do that. Did didn't... you tweet it? No, I didn't tweet it. I didn't, didn't mention it on a podcast. <laughs> said it, said it to you two over the desks. Nobody ever leave me. I and then he does it. I don't remember. Does it? 20 years and like, seven days later. I'm not doing a bit, right? Mm. But can you actually remember him saying this? <laughs> I, c I can't. Hang on, I, th I actually... I'm I can't? No, to be fair, I did get the clip of him saying it. I think I've got it right here. You got a journalism for that? You're going to be joking me! Here we go. He's so disappointed. <laughs> actually, no. Should have just we, said we've it. We've got to tell a lot of jokes here, but, uh, you know... Here's, here's the actual footage of you saying it. These nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you, got it, you got it there, Sige. The thing is, like, <laughs> a handful of reckons. He's like, he said this take, but... <laughs> he wasn't my car. Take. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we got Brian Danielson versus Christopher Daniels. Uh, great, so Christopher Daniels back in a wrestling ring. Uh, there's chain wrestling to start off. Obviously, Danielson initially takes control and does his... How does he make jumping jacks? How has he got that over? Incredible. Genius. Yeah, uh, and then this. Daniels fought back and uh, got out of a, a, a sort of unique pinning predicament that Danielson had put him in with his trap in his arms. And he did some jumping jacks. And then Daniel, uh, 
Christopher Daniels, I'm going to bugger this up, aren't I? I'm definitely going to say one's the other one because their names are so similar. Brian, I'm going to call him Brian just yep. for this, this review. Uh, Brian gets hit as Daniels comes back with a baseball slide and a rebound, rebound moonsault onto the floor. Uh, they come back. Uh, Brian counters a diving crossbody with a kick, goes after Christopher Daniels' midsection, stomps, kicks, um, but Daniels managed to fight back with some chops and a blue thunderbomb to make a comeback. He hits an uh, STO, hits an iconoclasm for a two count. Uh, Brian cuts him off, though, beats him down in the corner, and they start fighting on the top rope. Um, and uh, Daniels sends Brian to the mat. Call him Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> He uh, hits a diving crossbody, but uh, Dragon counters it into a roll-up. <laughs> they exchange cradles, the exchange near falls. Uh, Dragon hits a rolling elbow <laughs> strike for a near fall. Um, they're in the corner. Um, Dragon goes for a top rope Frankensteiner. Uh, oh, one of them goes for a top rope Frankensteiner. Call him, call him Fallen Angel. <laughs> Fallen okay. Angel went and for the top rope Frankensteiner, yes. but the Dragon pushed him <laughs> off. <laughs> Fallen Angel. That's the piss. They're, they're the legends. Yeah, Fallen Angel turned a dive into a Uranagi. Um, but as he goes for best moonsault ever, the dragon catches him in that triangle sleeper of his. Does the Nate Diaz pose again? The match is over. He, he, he holds onto it a little bit too long. Uh, and then post match, Brian Danielson gets on the mic and says, Look, it used to be a tradition in Ring of Honor. You shake someone's hand before this and after the match. But he's not in Ring of Honor. He's in AEW, so he grabs both of Christopher Daniels' hands and just stomps his head in and then announces that's basically what he's going to do to John Moxley at Revolution. Um, and he just keeps doing it until Moxley's music plays and he comes out uh, and he gets on the mic and says, uh, wearing the same clothes apparently that Renee Paquette dropped him off at the airport, <laughs> which is a fantastic touch. Uh, he says, Brian Danielson, you're better than ever. Uh, you know, there's two roads opening out in front of me on Sunday. Uh, either I could get my head kicked in uh, and fade into oblivion or I could uh, walk the path of fire and bullets and all that uh, and uh, go through Danielson, beat the American Dragon. Uh, he says, the story of John Moxley is just starting and the first chapter will be written in blood. Uh, and he offers Brian Danielson to take his shot right now, who teases it and then walks back up the ramp, posing and says, uh, wait till Sunday, you. What a wonderful end-to-end presentation this was, with the exception of a rare misfire, which I'll get to momentarily. This match wasn't blow away great. It was, however, Christopher Daniels' best singles outing in AEW by some distance. It was crafted and paced in a really nice way that allowed... It was just a nice time watching this because it wasn't like empty, hollow nostalgia. Like, Daniels looked like he was putting up a goddamn fight in there. But the balance... Like, this is so ridiculously, unnecessarily pedantic and scientific. The ratio of offense (laughs) was so well done and so well distributed that... You got Christopher Daniels having a really nice time in a nice moment, but there was no real, there was no overload of sentiment, even though he performed to this like really flattering match layout, and he overdelivered in terms of his performance mm. on what we've seen of him in AEW. I think the general consensus is that as great as he was on his day, AEW was like five years too late to get the best Christopher Daniels. That's fair, yeah. So as nice as it was to watch him overperform on his current physical standard in a match that flattered him, this in no way detracted from Brian Danielson, absolute killer who's days away from a major, major, much-anticipated pay-per-view match. In a way, without being a blow-away great match, I think the word I'm looking for, or the phrase I'm looking for, is it was absolutely perfect for what it was. Um, like There was enough drama, there was enough heat, there was enough good action. 
And like genuinely, by the end, the winner was never in doubt whatsoever. But the creativity in those sequences were really quite fabulous. As um, you went for best moonshot ever, I was was in, fully into it. Yeah, point. absolutely. I was like fully absorbed into the action. I love this promotion when this promotion is proper elite. The, I knew what he was going for, but it was such a fabulous idea when he went to shake his hand, but he was lying down on the mat. I was like, oh, he's going to kick his head in. It's going to be glorious. <laughs> such a wonderful way of reaffirming the news, being a complete cock in character. <laughs> and not only was it just a cute way to bridge the gap between ROH and AEW, but like Daniels, who had performed admirably in that match, looked genuinely pitiful when his one arm was in the air, which is the visual you needed to like sort of restore Danielson as this guy who's going to kick a star's head in on a pay-per-view that you have to pay money for. Mm-hmm. The only thing I didn't really like was Moxie's promo. I didn't really tie up to the beats of the storyline as they've been expressed to me, the viewer, so far. It didn't feel like, oh, we're going to team up after this, or there's a sort of an informal step, if you like. It just felt like they were in a grudge program, which is not what it's been. Mm. It, it felt like Moxley, in, a, in the rarest of misfires, because he's usually so intelligent with how he cuts promos, was just looking for a soundbite with like the bullets and the fire and stuff, rather than staying faithful to the story. It's funny you say soundbite. That was the exact word that came to mind when he was talking about the first chapter. I quite like um, the idea that... Uh, this is John Moxley, st- not starting from scratch in rankings terms, but emotionally, you know, and physically after everything he's gone through, he's starting from scratch. Um, and it feels like a beat that should have been there in week one of the story. If you were going to do it, if you're going to talk about like John Moxley's assessment of what this match means to him post returning from his absence, um, this was what you drop in straight away rather than the awesome story they told about the first time he wrestled Danielson and getting out the taxi and all that sort of stuff. Um, because they didn't tell it in the first week, you probably just have to leave it alone and you do the Danielson Dojo stuff. You do the really cool John Moxie bit where he's like, I know you think you were mentally in front of me, but I'm still in front of you. He didn't feel mentally in front of Brian here. He felt like a bit physically insecure. And again, there's a way to tell that story. Mm-hmm. There's a way to say, I've just watched you here and maybe it's important that I show my vulnerability to you because, you know, like you're not going to see coming what I'm going to bring you on Sunday. But yeah, it, it was just a little bit out of place. And like I... I couldn't decide if it was unfocused on the night or just the fact that it belonged somewhere else in the story because they've just done so much more interesting stuff mm. with this. Considering that it's been a relatively short build and we were led to believe that this what was going to play out on Sunday was a, something that would maybe start life as a gentleman's contest that would get progressively more violent. And then, like, so I was predicting Moxley was going to win and he was going to get him with a bulldog choke and that would give Brian a bit of an out, but also it would give Moxley the kind of bragging rights to say... You definitely underestimated me as a wrestler. You should have been watching what I was doing last year in this building, no less, you know. And, um, yeah, we didn't really get any of that. So I'm, I've kind of lost touch on how I'm supposed to receive the match itself on Sunday. So it was kind of the opposite of a go-home promo. Mm. Um, otherwise, yeah, I totally agree on the, the How nice the match was, how nice it felt that it had been booked, how nice it was that we had, like, two handshakes at the very beginning. They were, like, Brian was so into the Code of Honor stuff. And then how nicely it was worked throughout, like, was such a perfect contrast to how nasty Brian was about to be after the bell. So I, like, loved all of that. Um, and it was, it was pretty cool. Like, Daniels is 51, and so is Chris Jericho. And age, mainly because of WWE's overuse of guys, has become, like, a big talking point over the last few years. But it's always about context. And it's it's better that Daniels is older and like has lost a step 
but it, it, it makes those little flourishes mm. all the more endearing. Like they're the best moonsault ever. Felt so much bigger than when he was kind of just you felt him stuttering to the end of his career in late 2019. This this sort of stuff hits different. It's nice. We go backstage, uh, Darby Allen and Sting are there. As Sting warns, uh, the triple threat for the TNT Championship on uh, Friday's Rampage, that anyone who tries to get involved uh, would face repercussions. Darby Allen says he doesn't need anyone's help on Sunday. Look, him and Guevara are going to team up no matter what. Uh, but uh, before that, on Friday for the TNT Championship, it's showtime. Excited for that match. What triple threat match? I understood what he was talking about later. Yes, exactly. This just felt... I'm not meant to feel confused. I'm not an idiot. I pride myself on not being an idiot, but I had not had this communicated to me before, so it just left more confused than anything. They weren't trip, like dropping it as an intrigue. It just felt like it was the wrong way around on the show. Don't like it. Don't get it. Don't want it. That's been my feeling for virtually all of this angle and everything that spins off from it. Um, I, it's, it's really, really not for me. And you know what? It was easy to be critical of this when it was... Um, I always forget if it's if it was a tag or a four-way, but it was easy to be critical of this when Cody was involved. Mm. You were like, there you look at him, he's making a mess of everything. He's nowhere near any of this. Tony Khan's a booker. Like, yeah, if I people forget, like, Tony Khan books this, and he booked the Cody thing all along. He has got a big problem, Tony Khan, with mid-card soup mm. and trying to tether lots of different acts and storylines together. At its best, of course, it's deft, dovetailing booking, but when it's not that, it's an attempt at that, and it all too often scans as just soup. Why are they suddenly kind of associated, but also in a feud at the same time? Felt really icky when Guevara was out there for the save later on, didn't it? Just didn't feel convincing. It was the one bum note on an absolute masterpiece. Hey, who knows? Maybe because he's beaten two guys to retain the belts. If he does that on Friday, I'll give him another belt. (laughs) Oh, my God. Right. The people are with us. The people are with us on this now. Indeed. Um... I'm going to give him a mention because I, if, otherwise, if I, don't, if I don't do that right now, I'm going to forget it. Um, so, a massive shout out to one second caller, JT at Scargiver underscore JT on Twitter, who uh, took a sign that read, well, Why does he have two belts to TV last night? Which We're just asking you. questions. I'm just asking questions here, mate. Anyway, um, so let's get on to the Casino Tag Team Royale which for me had a few flashes early on, Max Caster's rap and the return of Darius Martin, and then kind of did nothing for me until the last five minutes. But I'll run through the whole thing and get your thoughts on it. Uh, FTR are the first ones out, followed, as I mentioned, by Top Flight. Great to see Darius Martin back after pretty much is it a year to the day, almost. I think I saw him tweeting about. It went awfully quiet a little while ago about his recovery. Mm. Um, as if we didn't want to speculate, really. I did talk about this on the podcast, so I remembered this time to do my saying on various other things. They all count, even if you don't say them. You've got to tweet it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Top Flight, just to remind us that it wasn't just Dante, but uh, Darius Martin is, is also incredibly talented. High-flying offense against FTR early on. Out come the acclaimed Max Caster with an absolute worldie uh, <laughs> of a rap, talking about sending FTR to Ring of Honor uh, and making things less popular than Glenn Jacobs' tweets. Great. Fantastic. So great. Absolutely tremendous. Well, as a quick pause, I would also like to put over Darth Justice on Oh, yeah, I saw this. Who uh, held up a sign, hey, Sidgwick, you're forgiven. <laughs> and he signed it on behalf of the mega fans. <laughs> who are going to have to forgive me later because I've got a great take. <laughs> that is absolutely going to be canonized in tweet form because um, I'm not daft enough not to do it. Mm, indeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
also liked, if I, just in case Daft. I forget to mention it later. That's the catchphrase, isn't it? It is, uh. <laughs> um, The bit with <laughs> JR going, listen, listen. Oh, so great. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to forget to mention When JR pops you on Dynamite, it's a good goddamn Dynamite. Exactly. What a rub that is as well. Like, Max Castor should be really buzzing with that. Aye. Like, Jim Ross is a man that is not easily pleased by a lot of the sh- on this show, as evidenced in this very match. Mm. And he likes Max Castor. He gets it. Uh, we get Alan Angels and 10 from the Dark Order out, and then the Butcher and the Blade, continuing your theory, just to remind everyone. Um, if the Blade wrestles on Dynamite, it's an all-time of Dynamite. There is a lot of evidence that backs this up. He's the... He's the uh, the real reason, secret truth behind <laughs> behind AEW Dynamite being good. Article coming soon at whatculture.com. Um, FTR sent Alan Angels crashing out onto the ramp for the uh, first elimination. We have to leave, eliminate both members of the team, obviously, as we would see. Out come the Varsity Blondes, uh, picture in picture. Pillman eliminated during the break. Uh, Pillman Jr. eliminated during the break. Poor bastard. Uh, Bear Country make their entrance. Uh, then out comes Santana and Ortiz. They get rid of Bear, both members of Bear Country quite early on. Um, Dante Martin eliminates Max Caster, and then we got the best friends out. Um, Bowens eliminates uh, Garrison, and uh, that means obviously Griff, Griff Garrison got the Varsity Blondes are out. Uh, Stu Grayson and Evil Uno of the Dark Order join. Uh, Ten eliminates Blade, and then all three members of Dark Order uh, took uh, took out Butcher and FTR hit the big rig on Bowens and Allen Angels, uh, but just sort of left them laying. Then out comes the Young Bucks with a face-off uh, with them uh, on the ramp and FTR in the ring uh, to take us to a commercial during which uh, the wingmen made their entrance. The gun club come out and get immediately chucked out by FTR and the Young Bucks. Brock Anderson and Lee Johnson were next. Uh, in the midst of all this, Bowen goes after Ten's mask uh, to eliminate him. Uh, and Ortiz eliminates Chuck Taylor. The wingmen get taken out. Bowens gets rid of Stu Grayson. Uh, and the final entrants are the brilliant 2.0. Uh, Lee Johnson gets eliminated by the Young Bucks. Uh, top flight, get rid of Anthony Bowens. Uno and Trent fight on the apron. Out comes Danhausen. Then as the evil. Uh, <laughs> he puts a curse on evil Uno. Uh, and this distraction, effectively, rather than the curse, uh, allows Trent to eliminate him. And there's a little thumbs up there. Uh, Santana, are, are you listening, Jim Ross? A distraction rather than the curse. Yes. Santana and Ortiz eliminate 2.0. Uh, but FTR send them out to the floor. Matt Jackson gets rid of Trent, which leaves FTR top flight in the Young Bucks. Uh, Dante goes for that double springboard moonsault thing of his, but Cash dodges it. Uh, and Dante just turns a powerbomb attempt instead into a Hurricane Rana, which eliminates awesome both of them. Spot. Oh, great. Fantastic. Awesome. This is where it got good. Uh, Red Dragon are out at ringside, and they distract uh, Harwood, Dax Harwood to allow the Young Bucks to eliminate him, and therefore FTR, uh, which means we are down to Darius Martin and Matt and Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks. Sorry, d- did you see the high-low they hit on the floor as well? So yes. <laughs> Cool yes. and cruel. That was just like, he's already out. Get him anyway. Get him again. <laughs> Get him again. Um, Darius nearly eliminates Nick, but Brandon Cutler makes the save. So Darius just chucks Matt into Nick to get rid of him. Uh, and then it's Matt and Darius Martin, of course, fighting on the apron. They trade strikes. It's 50-50. Could go either way. But Matt Jackson just goes, I'll just kick the bollocks then. <laughs> uh, low blow, super kick. Uh, Matt Jackson, therefore, the Young Bucks win this uh, casino uh, tag team royale thing to add themselves to the revolution three-way for the tag titles to join uh, Jurassic Express, who, of course, are the uh, champs who came out on the ramp afterwards, and Red Dragon, who, as I mentioned, were there at ringside. So, like I said, it was, for me, personally, it was like, 
oh, great, Darius Martin's back. Max Caster's rap's good. Ten minutes go by, and then it got really good. What did you think of it? I wish this was as good an experience as it was a bit of business, because this was a tremendous bit of business that... A few too many geeks. Yes, that's a few, fair. A few too many geeks spot on the broth, but I think, as an experience, I got bored of points. But in two weeks' time, I'll remember this as a great thing, because it did lots of great things, and it strove to accomplish a lot. Highlighted Anthony Bones with the Iron Man performance, if you like. Um, top flight, like... What a way to introduce Darius Martin back into the fold. He looked incredible. You were instantly reminded that top flight or a major proposition with loads of potential. In another low-key moment, Santana and Ortiz were eliminated and they exactly know, and Tony Khan this is, knows exactly when to eliminate a team like that. It was uh, crestfallen. That's surely too early for them. But then it was paid off for the backstage promo with Jericho later, which I interpreted... Good to be able to interpret things and not just listen to Wikipedia, <laughs> which I interpreted as a tacit acknowledgement of we've got no one to blame here. We got bounced out of this thing far too early. We're and last week's. Didn't last make the final four, did they? Yeah, we kind of still need you, Chris Jericho. and I, that's Let it play out. Let it play yeah. out, basically. So all of that was great. The elimination of FTR gives you the gift, potentially. That is FTR versus Red Dragon. Oh. FTR versus Top Flight. Run that back. Um, the final two minutes, like the top flight FTR stuff, like you highlighted the Hurricane Rana from the Liger Bomb, from the springboard Liger Bomb into the Hurricane Rana, like just <laughs> Wild. tremendous spot, absolutely tremendous. And the Darius Martin Matt Jackson thing at the very end was like palpitations, mm. so dramatic. Like the whole joy of the Battle Royale is when you're on the apron, you're going to get eliminated. The suspense palpitations, drama, all of it, and the work as well around it, mm. incredible. Um, you genuinely thought, well, Top Flight, I get in the pay-per-view. At some point, it was just magic when it was magic, but very flabby. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm the high guy on this. It seemed that way, I was watching live last night. and Twitter, Very flabby, too flabby. Twitter wasn't so keen, and like, it sort of felt like a few people saying they were getting a bit bored. I had a bit of conversation in the office similar to that this morning. Mm. Love a rumble on the telly, me. Like, I was, I was just never bored. I was like, oh, cool. Greatly I'm greatly entertained. Like, I'm just a kid. There's more wrestlers. More wrestlers coming out. It is not without flaws. Like, Sidrick's, like, hit upon, like, all of the, the praise that needs showering on the booking, on the presentation. AW tries, when it can, not to um, be too unsubtle with its promotion of talent. But Dante Martin was so good that they kind of needed a scream in your face how great Darius was. Mm. And this was the perfect way to do it. Yeah. There, are, there are times and places to just lay it on as thick as you can because Dante was that good. It was kind of becoming a little bit awkward, isn't it? It was like, who cares if Darius comes back? Don't It's amazing. It's like, oh, well, you should care. He's absolutely class. Yeah. Let's let's find like 10 minutes to remind you of all that. In a real high-profile situation that will be memorable as well. Um, not without flaws, but there were more, I found that there were more systemic flaws than flaws with the match because I was genuinely entertained by new wrestlers, people getting thrown over. Go again, go again, go again. Um Big rig, big rig. All of them look awesome. Big yeah. rig, big rig. <laughs> like, I, I genuinely was drawn in by the action enough. The questions I was asking are the questions that I was kind of asking last week and continue to ask. Uh, what are the wingmen doing there? What are Bear Country doing there? When the House of Black are choreographing their own promo segment instead of, like, <laughs> at least kicking and off. Their West then, Life or something. Like, I looked at the tag team rankings after this. It's kind of took, took the piss out of this. All of this happening for the sake of the match we all wanted to get to. And it's, mm, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a great match. Um, but... Aye, like tighten that stuff up because, yeah, the rankings betray this even existing and there's teams that are wins on top of wins on top of wins and what's it for? It's it's for now if you're just going to 
get like hoid about in a battle royal. In some, in the case of House of Black, haven't entered either of them. You know, mm. we know the real reason why they weren't in it. They are going to be a pushed act. They were going to either have a TV or a pay per view match with for the titles against whoever at some point. But you kind of need to do a better job of explaining that to the audience mm-hmm. because you understand the business reason why they're not in the match, but the creative reason was yeah. lacking. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. We go backstage. Uh, there is Chris Jericho uh, talking about how the wrestling world is buzzing after his promo. Eddie Kingston was there as well. Uh, effectively, <laughs> that's what he said for me. Um, and he talked about, you know, Eddie Kingston. He really wants to look inside himself and see if he is that guy because he references again that Kingston's kind of scared of success. And he says, look, hey, if Kingston beats me. I'll look him in the eye and I'll shake his hand and you'll have Chris Jericho's undying respect. But if he loses, Kingston, you know what you can do? GFY. <laughs> it's not a thing. Stop trying to make it a thing. But I, I will concede in a second, Hamlet, what you talked about in the office today. And then, as Michael Sidgwick alluded to, in comes Santana and Ortiz. And there's tension there. And Chris Jericho says, are we good? And gets no response, but there is. A fist bump, I agree. Let it play out. But first of all, Michael Havler, GFY. GFY, because we got to talk about Chris Jericho finally steering out of this long valley we've been in into his next peak. I'm feeling so good about Chris Jericho again. Two absolutely fantastic weeks. The Christmas Dynamite, and I keep going back to this, where I think it was Excalibur, through the headset, like you never want to hear Vince McMahon's voice come through a headset on AEW. But talk about why the fans should be confused why Eddie Kingston's angry with Chris Jericho. It's like these optics are all wrong. Your value system is messed up if you're baby facing Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston. They've spotted it, they've acknowledged it, and not just done that. I think it was the plan all along. I'd like to think so, but that week felt wrong. The if it, if it's not a pivot, obviously fair enough. But it's not just that, in my opinion, they've pivoted. It's that they've used virtually everything that. People have criticised Chris Jericho for, and he's... 
He's not told us that he's got his finger on a pulse as he was doing week after week after week loudly from the Rampage booth. He's shown us it by using all those things as a cell phone. Everything he's now doing is a cell phone. He's passed it. He's self-aggrandizing. And all it does is makes Eddie Kingston seem all the more authentic and all the more real. I love the idea that Chris Jericho believing not only that the handshake that he will extend after the fact will help Eddie, but that he's even going to get it back in return. Eddie Kingston's going to like, however hard he's punched him in the match, he's going to slap him even harder if that handshake comes out at the end. And that's what's great about all of this, you know? It's Eddie Kingston doesn't need nor want, nor warrant no. Chris Jericho's handshake. GFY is brilliant because it's at, like, he he introduced that legitimately to try and be a Chris Jericho thing and get over and get people talking on Twitter. And it was horrendous. And it felt it on night one. And now he's a heel. So he can say it. Remember, when him, remember Vitamin C when he used to call him a Christian? Sexy beasts! Didn't work as a baby face because it was a ludicrous thing to say. Them two, absolutely perfect. Vincent Mann wants to put a blue dot on the guy's face. You know, like, me and the other sexy beast from Canada. <laughs> like, he understands that because he's Chris in Jericho. And Cedric's been more to say this than I have, to be fair as well. Like, we always have to remember the good times when you're in the bad times with Chris Jericho. It's just the respectful thing to do considering how much he's entertained people for this long. It should be impossible. Yeah. It's not just that he's done it through promos. He's made me believe, even when it might not be the best match of the night, he's made me believe that this match is going to work as well. And, like, that's that's promo stuff because that's two weeks of them actually selling me on wanting to see the fight and believing it's going to hit a certain quality bar that two weeks ago I wasn't really sure yeah. about. Really tremendous from Jericho. There's a great line in here because I think Hamlet's covered most of it. He's very much leaning into the I'm the aloof, very successful sports entertainer. And he's doing this, which a lot of <coughs> apparently learned scholars of wrestling and independent Wrestling watchers are going, oh, God, Chris Jericho's really fake compared to Eddie Kingston. That's the point. <laughs> the contrast, that's the point. Um, so that pissed me off, but this didn't. Great line when he, uh, speech marks on an audio podcast, corrected himself. He's like, we had that promo segment. Yes, Eddie that's now you don't know what a promo is. It's a conversation. Him saying that Eddie Kingston doesn't know what a promo is. Mwah. Off the back of what's a baby face, which yeah. we're supposed to be like, Kingston's too real for this. And Jericho's like, why not? Like, I'd, or, like, Neggy and Horrible and... Just him saying that Kingston isn't familiar with the <laughs> was just class. Because I just wanted to cut, cut one on Jericho right then and there. Like, this is class. This is mm. really great. Uh, and it was followed by something that gave me a huge... Oh. Uh, that was <laughs> the CM Punk MJF promo that followed this. Uh, Punk comes out in a white T-shirt. God, I need to buy myself a white tee. I need to get jacked and buy myself a white tee. Can I make you bleed if you do? Yeah, absolutely. that's the reason Possibly, why the white yeah. yeah, Must yeah, be yeah. wide open, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's coming. It's been coming. <laughs> I thought it was a bit of a Ring of Honor LTST because it's a Brian Donison merch, isn't it? Indeed. Uh, so Punk comes out and he says, you know, I, woke, I wake up in the morning, I splash myself in the face and I say, in the past week he said this to himself, am I the bad guy? Uh, and he said, look, what MJ... I wake up and go on Wordle. Uh, MJF. I wake up and scream in the mirror that we don't predict the stuff they do on the preview shows because you hear it and you go, of course that's what you should have done. Why didn't we say that? Uh, he said MJF uh, speaking speaking up took incredible courage, but he just can't help. Sh he can't shake that feeling that he's being a little bit gaslit. He said, look, you know, there was a, there was a photo that did the rounds of me, a young me with, with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And yet, you know, when Stone Cold... Uh, left wrestling and a lot of prominent people said that he took his ball hates and went the home. Rock. He hates the Rock. He said lesser man and there was the Rock and there was Triple H that were big into the took your ball stuff. Oh, got it in my veins. It's <laughs> Dwayne. <laughs> uh, and he said, look, after that, you know, I was upset but I didn't lash out of the world. Uh, you know, I've seen MJF 
uh, do some terrible things. You know, he ta- attacked Dean Malenko. He insulted the memory of Brian Pillman. He insulted Darby Allen's uncle. Uh, and yes, you know, when I arrived, off- MJF offered me a handshake and I didn't accept it. But does that make me Dr. Frankenstein and MJF the monster? He says, look, it's not my fault effectively that MJF is this way. Um, there's nothing I can say that can change things, but I still need to deal with what happened. MJF, please come out here. And, and MJF saunters out. Um, doesn't say anything. And he said, look. White suit as well. White suit yeah. as well, yeah. Uh, he said, look, I used to be that guy. He talks about, you know, when he poured Paul Bearer's ashes. He pulled, you know, stole the urn and did that. And he effectively got someone, Jeff Hardy, he got, effectively got him fired referencing his addiction and what have you. Um, this is about the kid who now looks up to MJF just as MJF looked up to CM Punk. Uh, and he said, look. Now when I look at myself in the mirror and I say, are you the good guy? My answer is, well, I sure am trying. And he offers his hand to MJF. And MJF Mirroring the picture, everything's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. MJF says, hey, you put that away. He didn't actually say it, but bottom line. <laughs> and he hugs him. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. You are right. Punk, and Punk chins him because he is. trivialise one of the best <laughs> things I've ever seen. Let's just do that. Yes, so MJF... Cedric's uh, <laughs> looking at his hands, what have I become? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he doesn't shake his hand. Instead, he hugs him. And Punk sort of hesitates and then reciprocates. And they step, separate. They stare at each other. And just to talk about what you do in the mornings... Me at home goes, kick him in the bollocks, Max. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he did, of course. Uh, he hoys him in the nuts uh, and then gets him up and hits the heat seeker, uh, all the while ripping off his shirt to reveal a T-shirt underneath with the photo of young MJF and CM Punk. Out comes uh, Wardlow and uh, Sean Spears and FTR. The pinnacle, remember them? Um, they give uh, MJF... Yeah, they won the program four uh, weeks ago. <laughs> Goldfish. <laughs> yeah. The way he gestured him out as well. Come on. It's done now. Out you come. Like uh, he was like the calculated nature of the way he gestured them out. Yeah, loved it. Uh, and he gives uh, Wardlow gives him the beautiful diamond ring. Uh, and there's a dog collar and a chain. This was a better dog collar, wasn't it? Just a quick, yeah, quick note. Far better than the one that we saw the other week. The other one was too close to trying to do the Piper Valentine one. Mm. And his turn, it was too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, MJF nails Punk with the ring. It busts him wide open. Uh, blood all over CM Punk's face. Uh, in the midst of all this, uh, FTR are there to run interference on any AW security coming down uh, the, the the ramp, of course. And Spears puts the dog collar around CM Punk's neck, and MJF grabs a mic whilst the booze rain down, and he says, you stupid, stupid old man. I'm a snake. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Uh, and this Sunday, I will prove to Punk and all of these mindless sheep that I am the devil himself. Billboard loves his dramatic readings. Like. Oh, <laughs> this is my theory and performance studies degree coming through this. Uh, Sean Spears is gestured to start choking uh, uh, Punk over the ropes via the dog collar. Uh, thankfully, then Darby Allen Sting and Sammy Guevara run out to make the save. But the damage has been done. Like we say, we've got a bloodied CM Punk with a dog collar being hung over the top rope, effectively. Um, just when I thought I couldn't get any better, Sige, what a sensational promo this was. This is obviously the seminal iconic thing I was outlining in the intro, and this 
entire program embodies that definition almost at this point. This is absolutely incredible. My favorite thing about it is that every step of the way virtually, this has been classical professional wrestling storytelling. Piss afraid, cowardly heel, says things, trash talks, the really hard, wizened baby face, can't write the checks, runs away, and is now tethered to him physically with a dog collar match. The heat's been getting generated at the right times. We've seen the catharsis at the right time. The heat, it's been by the book. They've adhered to every rule of a form that should never, ever, ever have been like abandoned by friggin' WWE in the mainstream because it's always going to work. Every single rule and beat has been perfectly in pattern, but it's the very best version of it. At the same time, it's like doing classic rock in the year 2000. You can't quite say it's as good as what you are sort of riffing on because you didn't sort of create the song sheet. And then they break the rule <laughs> to make this iconic and completely new and completely transformative and deeper than anything that they're riffing on, essentially, to elevate it into, no, this, is just, this isn't just a genius version of a trusty form. They are doing something incredibly new, and it's incredible. And they've broken the ultimate rule by, in, by doing this. They follow the rule every step of the way, then they break it. CM Punk falls into the heels trap. You don't do that because you look like an idiot, theoretically, in any other program. CM Punk is being such a good guy, like not a baby face, such a good human being, yeah. willing to forgive a very complicated, sociopathic individual. Not a baby face. Acknowledge that he's being gaslit at the same yes. time, yeah. Yeah, he's, pl he's doing that at the exact same time, so that's great. But he's being not a, a baby face. It's not a definition with a set of rules. He's legitimately coming across as a good, understanding, sympathetic guy, and then he gets kicked in the bollocks for it. It's just, and you don't feel like, oh, he's an idiot for falling for that. Mm. You just think, what a shame the good guy is too good for his own good at this point. Completely disrupting the pattern and the rule and what you're meant to think. It's been tremendous, all of this. This has peaked perfectly. If that matches anything above four stars, boom. Unless it's bad, which it won't be. This is one of the best things I've ever seen, or ever likely to see, in fact. But both verbal performances were great. CM Punk's wobbles the few that he managed were like working because he was sort of in that zone and he was conflicted and all the rest of it. The line, which is a callback to the summer of punk, the original one in ring of honor. If our younger fans aren't familiar, um, basically he signed with WWE when he was masquerading as the good guy. And, um, he turned heel and did business on the way out while under WWE contract in the summer of punk. He told, he explained his actions, not by saying each and every one of you, but he told the, the parable of the old man and the snake, where the snake is, is sick and he asks the old man for help or whatever, um, and the old man nurses him back to health and the snake bites him. And the old man asks why, and the snake says, I'm a snake. And the whole crack is some people just cannot, they're inveterate in their personality. The best thing about this is he's calling back to that famous promo and the parable. But because this is much cleverer than just cool fan service that mirrors the characters in the way that this feud has gone all along, 
He's been saying that punk is a legitimate, literal old man who can't go anymore with his grey beard, his, the sheen of sweat on his body, struggling to put away. Remember the story, beat when it was QT Marshall and Lee Moriarty? The two worst things CM Punk's done in this company, MGF's made them make sense <laughs> with this promo, which was just so much more than a hollow callback. I'm going to tweet that because it'll probably get numbers. <laughs> it's, they have answered the question weekly on how you improve upon perfection. The pressure that that must put them under week upon week upon week. And it makes you want to believe, um, as a wrestling fan, that they knew they were going to do that because they've actually booked this backwards the way it's supposed to be done. Like you want to believe, when we've talked before about the way they've timed out the segments, whether it be geographically or whether it because of the, um, the way the pendulum has swung within the storyline between the two men, it felt as if they had to be doing this backwards because it just wouldn't line up so perfectly. And you simply do not arrive at a peak following a twist as good as what this last fortnight has been without knowing that you were going there. Mm. And yeah, like to Sidgwick's point about the Ring of Honor callback, a, a lovely thing to do on a Ring of Honor infused edition of Dynamite. But, you know, there being so much more meat to it than just that, it's kind of one of the themes of this program. Every single time there's been a, oh, there's that thing I like. It's not just been about there's that thing I like. Anti-family guy energy. Sorry, Matt Reigns. But it is. No, it's exactly that. Like, you don't think that's bad. And then you get that thing like that looks... like the first three seasons. You get that thing that looks <laughs> like that thing that, you know, you know, like they've made a point. Like, Punk's, Punk's done this since the beginning. Like, we all just flipped our fucking wigs when he did the Brett 123 Kid thing. But it was made contextual sense. It wasn't just a loving tribute. Like, it was, oh, God, hang on. Am I in over my head here against this young guy that's, like, the, the hottest young guy on the, in the territory, you know? And it's been like that with Punk ever since, and it's almost been celebrated in the MJF story. And the pathos as well. Like, wrestling tries and so often misses the mark with, with pathos. But the idea that you have the symmetry of this started and now is effectively ending with an attempted handshake gone wrong. Because ultimately, despite the fact that we're watching wrestling every week, Wrestling is about going up the rankings and winning the top prize. It's not supposed to be about violence, but like it's supposed to be about the handshakes. And mm. as Ring of Honor tries to establish with the Code of Honor, it's supposed to be about handshakes and then wins and then losses in an emulation of a real sport. So we have a handshake, that, uh, a missed handshake that this starts with, a missed handshake that this ends with, and violence solves nothing. But we're going to do it anyway <laughs> because the emotions have drawn the violence out. Uh, yeah, I like the handshake that led to the handshake that broke someone's heart and made this handshake or lack thereof feel all the more potent with that picture of Danielson and Punk. Yeah, like uh, yeah, That's, and I hadn't even just thought about that until you mentioned it now. So it existed within itself, and yet that is yet another case mm. of a absolutely fully loaded callback full of other things than just it looks like that thing. It's. It's, it's, it's all timer stuff. It's my was, favorite thing AEW's ever done. This uh, mine, mine too, and it's it's all timer stuff. And I remember feeling this way about the product at large, and kind of begging people. I, I know people listen to this podcast the most probably watch AEW anyway. It's not like where they listen to Raw to find out what's happened. They just <laughs> yes. want to recap. But I ju- I, again, I just want to like scream from a mountain. If you've ever enjoyed professional wrestling, it's because of this. Mm-hmm. this. This is like. Live it and breathe it because on Sunday it's probably like AEW. It's probably going to be over. Uh, like, and and I want it to be over because I want. I need this. I need. I need the closure yes. on these two men's journey that they've been on through this. He's opened up an awesome cut for a, a blood, like a bloodbath match. Photo, on how happy he was. Yeah, like walking back the photo beaming, Sting. Punk's opened himself up an absolute gusher ahead of a match where he's going to bleed more. So you've got like the the safety, the the sigh of relief 
that the blood is going to be wicked on Sunday because we've already seen it and MJF's going to target and open it up probably straight away. Um, gives you that reassurance that that match cannot possibly... I, I'm not saying it can't fail. I don't want to put any more pressure on the shoulders than what's already there, but it can't under-deliver on, on no. your, your expectations of the violence. Exactly. Uh, we're doing a stream, obviously, for, for AW Revolution, if you're unaware myself, and Phil Chambers will be doing a live stream on our YouTube channel. I'm sort of anxious about it because, you know, AW does have a tendency to go on a bit with the pay-per-views, but there only is only four a year. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's justified. But my God, if it gets to like 4 a.m. and they're like, right, here's CM Punk and MJF, I'll be like, I'm awake. Let's <laughs> do this. Um, a couple of other things, because I, I realize we banged on about this, but I think you both, you know, you've really surmised it perfectly, both of you. Um, I, you know, I, I was aware of, but not necessarily the, the, the exact wording of the Summer of Punk in, in Ring of Honor, and therefore... Any nod that I perceive towards the usual suspects is okay by me. <laughs> and uh, by the way, one of the most frustrating things I've ever done is try to watch uh, usual suspects with a housemate of mine who's one of those people who sort of half watches, you know, you're like, you've got to watch this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, cool. And then they start like checking their phone. It's one, it's one of my biggest, biggest pet peeves, right? And uh, we did that, put it on for him. And like 20 minutes in, obviously, if you're unaware, I'm not going to tell you everything, but um, it centers around a guy called uh, Kaiser Soze. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the central theme of it. 20 minutes in, he looks up from his phone and goes, is this Kaiser Soze, lad? Man, I turned it off. I was like, I'm not watching Oh, yeah. Um, but yes, I love that. And also, uh, just complete uh, tangent here. I know, obviously, you talked about them wearing white. One of my favorite things in wrestling is when someone gets busted open, the other one smears their blood on themselves, whether it be their T-shirt or their, their bare skin. I don't care. It was on his own face. Like, he it was on young MJF, like, he's bloodthirsty. Yeah. Like, he wants more of this. Also, like, I've been very vocal in my criticism of the pinnacle. And I think, like, Cedric was probably right to count uh, yeah, like that yeah, little neck because they're kind of coming around on the pinnacle. Probably not since they formed did I feel such a sense of menace as when FTR were battering the security guards. Like, someone help him, and they can't, because that's what, like, heel villainous state... There was proper horseman... Like, FTR would love hearing this. There was proper horseman energy about them just battering these security guards, because wrestlers are supposed to be harder than security guards. And it, it felt, also, felt it dangerous. It made sense as well, i.e., I know they could do it on the set, but, like, there's only one entrance. It's like, well, it's going to all have to funnel through this way. I know, obviously, there's two, there's two entrances, and you could just stand on the ramp normally, but that one, especially, is such a narrow way. Yeah, like, it's the only way to get there. if they send 20 people, if we just, they're going to have to come one at a time, effectively. Something else, because, obviously, we got the <coughs> incredible use of it in the uh, match itself, but the way it was shown to us here, I, I think, now, that, di that beautiful diamond ring is going to represent the wealth that Wardlow no longer no longer needs from MJF. Like, he's no longer got his control. He's going to take that dynamite, dynamite ring off him and bludgeon him with it when they have their match because that's twice now that it's been very ceremonial that he's given him the ring. And it's, it's like, obviously, he's done it in other matches, but in terms of this punk feud, the one that's existed to get Wardlow away from MJF, it's played such a huge role in it that, like, that ring, whether or not he loses it in the eventual match in a year's time or he just steals it from him and takes it and doesn't give it back, so I don't need your money anymore. I don't need your money anymore, and this is evidence of it, and then choose it. Yeah, <laughs> spits it out and gives it to a fan. <laughs> right, let's move on um, and talk instead about Keith Lee, who was backstage with Tony Schiavone, who <laughs> reveals that he's got a tune-up match on Friday. And literally before he can say anything, Ricky Stark says, Greetings and salutations. <laughs> Just one word of advice, Ricky. Just roll the R a bit. Greetings. Ricky. Ricky. Uh, and Keith Lee says, No, no, enough of this. <laughs> that is twice you have interrupted me. And if there's a third Ricky Starks, 
There will be none of you left to interrupt me forthwith. Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks just says, I just want to let you know that, you know, he's fighting on Rampage. Rampage is Starks country, and Hobbs just leaning and says, yeah, and I'm the president. And he says, fair warning, you show up to Rampage, you might not make it to Revolution. Just a heads up, I'll, I'll see you when I see you. And Keith Lee responds, and I will be there. Thoughts? Well, beyond notes, <laughs> notes, beyond revolution, can you foresee Keith Lee challenging for the Fornicate the Earth <laughs> Championship? <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Uh. <gasps> Great they're having a Keith Lee tune up, man. Yeah, I love Keith Lee. <laughs> we should take the piss. <laughs> It's great. Unbelievable. Uh, then we got the tag match. It was uh, Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter versus Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez, of course, ahead of Breaker versus Rosa for the AW Women's World title on Sunday. They brawl before the bell. A lot of history between these four. Um, Baker and uh, Mercedes Martinez isolate Baker as the match starts. Hayter tags in and has that face-off with Mercedes Martinez. There's a bit of interference from... Reba Rebel, uh, who grabs Rose's leg, which allows Baker's team to take control as we head to a break. When we come back, uh, Mercedes Martinez finally gets the hot tag. It's a T-bone suplex to get a two-count on Jamie Hayter. Uh, Hayter fights back, hits an STO. She gets a two-count off that. And then Baker and Rosa come in, uh, and Baker gets nailed with a slap by Thunder Rosa. Uh, load of big strikes in the middle of the ring. Rosa hits a Death Valley driver for a near fall. Martinez takes out Hater on the outside, uh, and Rebel, I should say. And then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, Rosa hits the Fire Thunder Driver and pins AW Women's Champion Britt Baker. I've got mixed emotions about this. The shock of, of, of having Rosa pin the champion days before the pay-per-view. But also, I don't know, I felt slightly disappointed by that ma- this match. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's the chicken and egg vortex of the AW Women's Division continues. So, like... Often it sounds like scans is an excuse, right? But something has to follow that incredible punk and um, MJS segment. And all too often in AW, that's felt like that's been the women anyway. So that's mm-hmm. a problem. But then there would be potentially a good faith backstage argument of, oh, but like Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa has been built for a year. You know, like we've got the like the, the lights out match. Like this is this is bigger than your standard. This is not the the five minute dynamite match. So that that's different. That's over. That can follow it. And it's like, oh, but you've also not really built like you've left people to fan cast that. You've not done anywhere near enough the work to reheat that tension. So it doesn't belong there. In fact, you have to put it before something major. And then if you put it before something major, you get people saying, oh, you're kind of marginalising the women by kind of getting them out of the way because before you get to the meat of the paper you build. But you, you have to do the work and they just don't do the work and they get caught in this problem over and over again. And it sounds like we're having circular conversations, but it's because they don't fix the problem. The match wasn't great, but that really shouldn't matter because this was like go-home fodder. Gutsy, really gutsy to have Thunder Rosa pin Britt Baker and yet they conspired to create circumstances in which it couldn't have mattered less. And I'm not just talking about bigger picture women's division stuff. I'm talking about the fact that the director, between the wrestlers and the direction and the agent in, couldn't make up their mind what they wanted to shoot. And it was like, oh, do we miss the flip dive that Mercedes Martinez is doing and then risk missing what's going to happen in the ring? And you kind of got neither of either. Mm. You got half of the dive and you got half of the big finish. So you lost both. 
And so it's macro and micro problems. Kind of like there was a confluence of all of it that failed the women. And again, it, like often as we kind of have to say either before or after we've had this analysis, it's not always the fault of the workers. And I don't think it was here. It's. I really hope the match delivers on the night because it feels like Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa have been underserved by a build that they were clearly working towards 12 months ago. Other than the most recent developments, which genuinely I don't think the execution has met, like the booking, not that it's been particularly great or well thought out, the booking, but I think everything execution-wise, and I will put this on the performers, hasn't really been good enough um, over the last month. Other than, if I recall correctly... I can't remember the exact dynamic, but there was a little bit of um, it's a little bit of work that was in and around the TBS title tournament when, through Jamie Hayter being in it, I think they did some kind of they arrived at a trios match with Baker on one side and Rosa on the other because she'd allied with um, aligned with. Conti and Anna Jay, yeah, I want to yeah. say. So there was some kind of trios match. Like, there was some kind of, oh, great, they're still thinking about Rosa and Anna, and um, Britt Baker. Other than that, this entire program has been, they had a classic match once. Thunder Rosa's waited a year for this. She hasn't really had any great struggle or breakthrough wins. few pops on Dark Elevation. That'll be enough. Is that enough? Yeah. It's just felt like this entire builder's, they had a great match once. It was genuinely worthy of iconic status. That should... Oh, 12 months, uh, that'll do. That will do. Mm. It's just been underthought completely. Uh, we go backstage where Take On... I'm tired of being told how important this is. Mm. It's like, no, show me it. Yes. Show me this. Yeah, exactly. Then they wouldn't do this with the men's title. No, not at all. Um, Take On is backstage with Anna Jay. Uh, but before they can to hype up the uh, TBS championship match he's got against Jade Cargill, in comes Jade to call her a bitch and says nobody cares about the karate shiz, basically. Class. Yeah. Um, which was only slightly uh, undercut, I thought it was such a good line, by <laughs> Tay Conti going, oh, and I'll be back. I'd swing for you if I wasn't being held back, which sort of, sort of tickled me a little bit. But, hey, they're going to be on the, the kickoff show for the, or whatever it's called, buy-in for... Uh, for Revolution, uh, and it's going to be an enjoyable match. Uh, Jade Cargo versus Tay Conti. That's on the main card. It's on the main card. I thought it's on the main card. It's on the main card. I, I've got confused. Statlander and Hirsch and the uh, because, because the Wikipedia thing is, uh, I've read it in the wrong order basically, and I've thought the things at the top are on the yeah, pre-show. Yeah, QT Marshall versus Hook in the main event. You need to check carefully on that one because of the spoilers. I you know, know. it's a good job Rampage wasn't taped, otherwise you'd have blown that. I mean, I told you, I said about the Rampage preview last week where we were talking about it, and I was like, who do you think is going to win out of Orange Cassidy? And oh, I found out who they were putting <laughs> in. And another thing as well, this is more work-related, so I don't think the listeners need to watch out. But watch out on Wikipedia because you'll get caught. Um, when we research things, oh, when did this match happen? We use cagematch.net. Mm. I'm sure the listeners do for whatever reason as well. And they do the Rampage spoiler. So if you go through the match list and you're like, oh, man. Oh, no. I got um, the FTR Lucha Brothers match. One of them spoiled. So I forgot to say. Just really briefly on this Jade Cargill take on thing. I love, like, wrestling's really unique. So, like, wrestling's not real, right? And judo and martial arts and all that stuff is. And I love how you can have your cake and eat it with that. So two weeks ago, Ronda Rousey comes out in a gi with a black belt. And your brain goes, 
be terrified of her. Even with one hand tied behind her back, she can take you down and break your arm. And then Jade Cargill can flip it and be like, nobody cares about, like, because really, it's like the wrestling coach in the South Park episode, and it's not real wrestling. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but nobody cares about that one. That's why Kurt Angle moved into our world. And I, like, I love how you get both with the, the real, quote-unquote, the real disciplines. Mm. So it's fun to play with that. Interruptions are fine if the trash talk is amazing, mm. and it was. Uh, and there was there was a vignette uh, following that for the match that is going to be on the uh, buy-in for Revolution uh, between Chris Statlander and Layla Hirsch. And God bless the United States. <laughs> <laughs> um, still hits that. Chris Statlander doesn't like the fact that Layla Hirsch calls herself a real athlete. Uh, and understandably, Layla Hirsch is still quite annoyed that Chris Statlander said she should have been put up for, she was put up for adoption. <laughs> so glad they went back to that. I was like, yeah. So jarring at the time, wasn't it? That, like, Chris Statlander inadvertently, and I guess AEW in terms of how they just dropped it in the middle of a video package, they stumbled upon a reason for an actual, like, pay-per-view pre-show yeah. match. It was like, you said the worst thing you could say to a human being. Yeah. That's, like, we need to have a fight about that. Uh, anyway, uh, basically, Hirsch just doesn't even care to respond. She's just going to let her... Fists and a wrestling do the talking, and Statlander promises to show a new side of herself that's no one's seen before. And then we got Wardlow versus Cesar Bononi. Uh, again, another development in Wardlow facing big guys now rather than just squashing little dudes. Uh, Cesar Bononi gets in, I think, one shot, drops Wardlow, um, tries to powerbomb him, and Wardlow goes, no, this is how you do it, mate. Boom! Symphony again of powerbombs. I think three in total here to the uh, annoyance of uh, Sean Spears on the ramp. Um, one, two, three, post-match, Sean Spears goes to to steal a bit of the spotlight by twatting Benoni with the chair, but Wardlow grabs it and stops him, and there's an incredibly intense stare down, and a little tease following that, where um, Spears drops the chair and sort of goes, all right, uh, fair enough, mate, uh, yeah. and then just does the little glance back as Wardlow celebrated, of, I could always just twat you in the back with the chair, you know, love that. This whole thing was great, and it got greater later. <laughs> Cesar Bononi's massive. He's <laughs> simply so big that I'm thinking, is this a good idea? Mm. Because you make a Wardlow, your big Hoss new push prospect look small. And then the first power bar was like, ah, this is <laughs> absolutely tits. Uh, it's a great choice. Like Tony Khan's a tremendous booker. Mm-hmm. It's not just about long term storytelling, it's sometimes about putting the right people in the same ring together. And at first, I'm thinking, oh, how, how's this going to go? Especially if it was if it was one of those Mount Nostomic competitive squashes, but I just killed them. And you're looking at the clock going, we need to get to that six man. Yeah. And Wardlow's killed the guy with power bombs. He was massive. So it makes him look more of a beast, like in terms of presence and stature rather than actual physical height. So that was all incredibly well done. The third power bomb, like getting this guy by the head, that was tremendous. I need to put over Wardlow's technique. And again, it's not, he's not just, a great hoss guy with jock energy. Mm-hmm. He's not just an understated actor. The technique of his power bomb is tremendous. It's so flat, the head and the spine and the back, all in that line. Because if you do the back first too hard, the back of the head can ricochet. It's concussion city. A guy that big, and it's still the flat line, the perfect execution. Like Wardlow's incredible. Underappreciated art to make the power bomb yours. Like, character-based power bombs are so much more fun. There's a reason why Sid, Razor, Diesel, now Wardlow, and to a, for an extent that, like, probably shouldn't be celebrated, but was always so dangerous, it was awesome. Armour Johnson have very memorable power bombs. <laughs> like, Vader, another one as well. Like, such a steep height and a dangerous drop. Or, like, not everyone. The last ride's awesome as well. 
Ah, yeah. I know right. we don't like No, but no, it's a cool, like, his wedgie bomb thing. Like, there is there is an art to adding, like, your own bit of character to a power bomb and distinguishing it from something that, like, a lot of just big guys could do, you know, and, like, Wardlow's got his now. And mm. uh, not just that he's doing loads of them, but, yeah, the, the, the stuff he's added to it. Batista being the perfect example for a lot of reasons. Mm. Like, this, the springs... Like the the springs in his boots when he would like drop people with power bombs, that sort of thing. My godson's a big fan of the Batista bomb. Yeah. And by that I mean me Batista bombing him on the sofa. Yeah. I'm a package pile driver. <laughs> what was the other one you got your son to do? Was this diving headbutt? It was the air uh, honma. That was it. <laughs> the jack, uh, like I lo- of course I would love the jackknife. But the great thing about a jackknife onto the couch is because obviously Nash, so tall, would drop him off a side shoulder pretty much. Oh, they go bang, drop because you're seven foot in the air. Like doing that to a kid on a sofa, you can just drop them. Oh, they go, let go. Psh, gravity does the work. Magic. And you can use the back cushion as like barricade spot as well. Yes. Just, like throw them in with the love it. Unless, <laughs> unless uh, Josh Barnett is behind your sofa. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the other segment I- in this as well, because the only other bit is the bollocks of the Daddy, you get a sure go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Spears and Wardlow are backstage, and uh, MGF's got some great news. He's getting, got the T-shirt covered in CM Punk's blood still. He says, you know what? If you win this Face of the Revolution match, and then you, you win the TNT title, I'm going to let you keep it. Uh, what a lovely gesture. And then he goes, well, are you going to win it anyway? And walks off. And Wardlow says, yeah, that's because I'm too busy keeping you winning every week. And MJF walks up and slaps the taste out of Wardlow's mouth. He says, just remember, you're not a wrestler in AEW. You are my bodyguard. You know, I pay you. Uh, do not mistake my kindness for weakness. If it wasn't for me, you and your family would be on the street. That electrifying feeling. When an arsehole heel, the worst arsehole heel, has bitten off far more than he can chew and doesn't realise it. There are a few feelings like it in wrestling. That sells about 50 matches. That sells 100 moments. Like, catharsis up the ass. (laughs) Out the ass. (laughs) (laughs) Catharsis up and out the ass. Like, mesmerising. Magic. Pro wrestling. There was two things I loved about this. One was... MJF's performance, just casually cleaning the blood off, like it's just nothing to him because he's got no feelings. He is an inveterate sociopath. So that, in contrast to the heightened emotion that CM Punk displayed earlier in the night, what a wonderful dynamic between. Uh, how dare you even see him again? Yeah. That's brave to put him back on camera, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. right, really, really brave. This is, I was going to say this in the nicest possible way because it's not about the, the, the tone of the content, but like the reaction. You know the whole point of Jerry Springer? It's meant you like to do like revelation. No, actually, this is revelation. You're meant to get the goddamn hicks in the audience <laughs> going. Ah! Ah! <laughs> when MGF going, you're not going to win anyway. To the slap, I was like, ah! Ah! Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the genuine, like it got us twice. Of like, ah! Ah! that's only that, that's my review yeah. of the segment. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Hang on, it's uh, it's another perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in amongst all this, uh, it really was a... That was Sigid. It's not Shane! It's not Shane! <laughs> <laughs> uh, it really was a sandwich, this, wasn't it? Because in the midst of all this, we had the House of Black doing their Westlife routine. Came out of their chairs and walking into the spotlight. I don't know, talking some bollocks about turning Penry. They got a little world of their own. <laughs> Nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> the house always wins, Sig. God, I hated this. Uh, I need more Westlife songs for Ray. Uptown uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Girl? Not theirs. Well, that would be Mr. Billy Joel. If you've got a toxic powers, you can fly without wings. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get the. You talk about your thoughts, and I'll get the Westlife. Uh, I bet, like it's just gothic word soup, isn't it? 
Black Garlic Soup. <laughs> garlic. Garlic. Vampires of yeah. uh, the night. Uh, what makes a man? <laughs> Goo. When you're looking like that's quite good. That was a banger of theirs. You're looking like that. <laughs> Bubba, bubba. Buddy. Goo. <laughs> this is like, this is only for the Oh, that's this. good. That might be a good one. You raise me up. Yeah. <laughs> I've got nothing. I've got no takes on the House of Blake. I've got no Westlife crack. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I, got, I gave you Fornicate the Earth earlier. That's the big part. This does not belong in AW. And the worst thing they can do is show you that by comparison. So you have the MJF stuff. Like, it's hanging heavy in the titty of this episode of Dynamite. And, like, we say this all the time. Brody King and Malachi Black... Being hard as nails and chasing titles is what AEW is for. The rest of this is what WWE is for. And it's about time we like drew those lines a little bit more distinctively, I think. <laughs> I think like the uh, I, the the phrase, the, the buffet phrase that for the longest time was very important in AEW's establishing AEW's USP, I suppose, against NXT, if that makes sense, USP in a buffet. But it was important to suggest that like you'll have everything here. Uh turns out sometimes everything's too much. Take this away. I know this will offend some people um, because they like Undertaker-adjacent stuff. They like the Bray Wyatt stuff earnestly. More not in the way that we enjoy the fucking Fiend, but in the way that they genuinely <laughs> wanted that character to be better, you know? Um, the the Stanflits will forgive me, but mm. we had law on this show. You think it is? I had to come up with something. Like, people say this every time that I like... This makes to come up with something that's different than mine. I'd add, like... <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, I don't tweet enough to justify it. Like, I don't say the things. Um, law was on the show everywhere, but he's wrestling law. You don't have to have a sign of handshake says, this law. Is law. Handshake law, not ghosts. But they don't have to have a sign that says, this is law, yeah. by the way. The, the stuff they were even laying claim to was bollocks. Now Peck was blind, but he can see. Now uh, Penta's darker than ever. Yeah, he's, not, he's worse than ever. Like, I don't care about pack anymore. You're, ma- you're making these guys lame. My favourite thing was was thinking about the fact that they'd go, right, Brody, you'll say the hand. Yeah. You'll say always, and I'll say wins. Crap. All of this. House of crap. <laughs> it's just bad. Old Town Goo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, enough of all that. Lord. It's time for the main event. Hank Cole, Red Dragon versus Hangman Page in Dark Order. Um, starts off with, with Cole and Page, but of course Cole, because he's a knobhead, <laughs> tags out and uh, brings in Bobby Fish, who uh, just gets battered by a big boot by the world champion. Uh, in comes uh, Silver and O'Reilly and Silver... So deceptively strong. I know I say this every time, so it shouldn't be deceptively strong, but he is. He, he controls O'Reilly. Um, and uh, Silver and Reynolds work together to just take, to counter Red Dragon, basically. In comes Paige, uh, but O'Reilly? O'Reilly? O'Reilly. <laughs> um, brilliant, you know, tag team specialist that he is with Fish. Sort of goes out to the floor, but secretly tags yeah. Fish, which allows him, Fish, to come in and chop down Paige's leg. At which point, Cole's like, now I'll come in. Uh, obviously, um, Page, uh, Cole sends Paige the apron, uh, but avoids the uh, bookshot lariat to take us to a break. When we come back, uh, Cole and Red Dragon isolating Silver, beating him down. 
Page gets the hot tag, though. Runs completely wild. Pop-up powerbomb on uh, Kyle O'Reilly for a two-count. And there's a face-off between Cole and Page, and they just start trading strikes in the center of the ring. Everyone else comes in and does the same huge lot of big moves at that point. Uh, Cole hit an Ushigoroshi on silver. Page hit Cole with a lariat. And Reynolds came in and just got super kicked and hit with the boom by Cole for the victory. Post-match, heels come in, beat down Alex Reynolds, but Page comes in to make the save. He sets up for the buckshot lariat on Adam Cole, uh, but Fish kicks the leg out of Page's, the ankle out of Page's ankle, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, Cole beats him down, and they duct tape him, Red Dragon do, to the ropes and make him watch as they hit Silver with the high-low and they hit Reynolds with the Panama Sunrise. And then Cole super kicks Page and twats him with the belt to close out this show. What a hell of a lead-in for the uh, title match of the Pape. I absolutely got what I wanted out of this. Reaching? I said on the preview. <laughs> I said on the preview yesterday that I was kind of so excited about Kyle O'Reilly and John Silver doing stuff more so than Page and uh, Cole. I completely disrespected them and sold them short because that exchange <laughs> here was fabulous. The best thing about it was they teased it well enough, but the actual work it kind of foreshadowed what the story of the match is going to be, which we are insistent, myself and Hamlet, it's not going to be an NXT match. They looked within like two minutes of just counters and reversals that they each had each other's number, and that's what you meant to do. When Paige was like rolling through, trying to do the dead eye, it's like he just had Adam Cole's body in his complete control because he's so powerful and so like great. And then Adam Cole just slipped out of it and started like just kicking at his legs, which will stop prevent him from doing the buckshot because he's really slippery and he's a great defensive wrestler as well. So I loved that exchange. That was phenomenally worked. And that was the whole purpose of this match, which in itself was a really good trios match. But the whole purpose was you need to see enough of Cole and Paige to make you think that's going to bang on the pay-per-view. And guess what? It's going to bang at the pay-per-view. One more thing. We've ran long. The little subtle ways they sell the Buckshot Lariat, they are trying, and in my opinion, nearly succeeding at getting it at the level of the One-Winged Angel. That's what they're trying to build it as. Taping his hands to the rope because it's like, if I don't do this... That move is so powerful that I'm done. Might not even make the pay-per-view almost. Lovely touch. Obviously, it made him vulnerable and got the heat, but the way tacitly sold the buckshot was just tremendous as well. It's all the time. That that's a, that is an absolute project. You can tell the the match where against Brian, where Brian had to work three separate body parts over the course of sixty minutes just to try and stop him doing it because of all the different body parts he needs to like dismantle. Um, the uh, match with. Lance Archer, Archer, where they took off the top first rope. thing to think of is like, well, right, we need to stop that, don't we? You know, um, yeah, like the match was what it was, but I've, as we've kind of said over the last few weeks, really, it's been a, a gradual process, and I think a successful one. They have shown me a way in which this match is going to work, and that is how you promote a pay per view. Hangman Page, deceptive as he is with it, even if you've like. We as fans know because we've watched enough of his matches, but Adam Cole still looks at Adam Page and sees the guy that joined the Bullet Club that wasn't anywhere near as charismatic as he was once mm-hmm. upon a time. Hangman Page is such an incredible all-rounder, underrated strength, underrated size, underrated technician, that he has all this. Kind of overwhelms Cole with it. Cole's one of the best counter-wrestlers there is. So he says, well, I've I've got that beat. I've got that licked. Like, I might have underestimated this, but I've still got this in my back pocket. So all they've done over these last two weeks is to show us this sort of thing time and time again that's like i really want our faith to be rewarded because i think there is an, a slight nervousness around which way it'll go wwe brain not least because of a lot of the other stuff I on this card mm. oh yeah it's aw the length of these shows has like i don't want to say failed main events before but it's resulted in main event I, like i don't have very many vivid memories other than a botch oddly of kenny mega and christian cage um i think 
couple of John Moxley's title defenses, pandemic notwithstanding, like where you were just tired. You know, so like that's what they've got all that stuff to work against, but I don't think they're going to have the match that a lot of people are worried that they will. Indeed, can't wait for the uh, pay per view on Sunday. As I said, we'll be doing a live stream for it uh, on our YouTube channel. Do join us for that, and we'll be reviewing it immediately afterwards. So make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling to hear that one, and we'll be looking ahead to it, of course, in the coming days. But for now, this has been the uh, AW Dynamite review. My thanks to the Dadley Boys. Uh, thank you for joining us. You can let us know your thoughts on Twitter at What Culture WWE. Watch there, follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at. Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. And what a ba- better day than World Book Day if you haven't done so already to buy his brilliant book, uh, the ri- all about the rise of AW becoming all elite. Just head to Amazon. Best way to book, go and get it. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. But for now, as I said, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.